Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name of our show says, our listeners, like you, are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors, the folks who help others create their businesses, and the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you're one or more of the above, and many of our listeners who tune in every week are all of the above, take a moment, explore episodes, discover how we can serve you at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And while you're there, click on the iTunes icon. Make sure to subscribe. You'll get immediate access to over one, excuse me, whoa, almost 250 episodes since we went live in September of 2013, immediately available in your iTunes. Plus, you'll get fresh content every single week. Does that sound good? What also sounds good, and this is one of the things we support the Business Creators Radio Show, is we love to help entrepreneurs experience more of what they call freedom on their own terms. And we're going to be speaking with a gentleman who's achieved just that, and he's going to give you some insights on how to use a common Internet strategy and tweak it so that you can experience more of what you call freedom. I have great noise cancellation in my microphone, but you might hear a little bit of buzzing in the background. Hey, that's just the way it is because I'm sitting out on my balcony right now. It's a very nice summer day here in Las Vegas. And uh, the air conditioner unit that's two levels down is buzzing to keep my cast cool inside. We've had guests who have called in from airport terminals. We had somebody who was on their bungalow on the top of a six-story building with a view of their local airport, so you heard jet planes going over. We had somebody who actually called in from their vacation by a waterfall. We have all kinds of crazy things happen on this show. What you need to know is we're real people and we have a lot of fun here. So let's have some fun and let's talk about how to passively generate high six figures from website traffic. Now, our regular listeners may be saying, website traffic? Don't you say that getting traffic to your website is the last thing you need or want for your website? Well, inside my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, I do say the last thing you need or want to your website is traffic. Is traffic. You don't want traffic to your website because traffic is what I think about when I go from my bedroom to my home office, what I'm not experiencing anymore. And website, how do you define that? So what I urge people to do is to, instead of say traffic to your website, say visitors to your web pages who fulfill the three P's of website conversions meaning you have people who are pre-qualified, right message, right audience, right time, prepped, they know what to expect, and pumped. So when they click that link and go to your web page, they are ready to take the action you want them to take. So hopefully you got your pages loading real nice and quick. So I actually do believe, and I've confessed, that traffic to your website is a great thing. I just like to rename it. So out of respect, we're going to stick with passively generating high six figures from website traffic because that is what our guest today is going to share with us. He's a gentleman named Chris Parker. He's the founder and CEO of a website that you might have been taken to by your website hosting provider when you were having problems accessing your site called whatismyipaddress.com, the number one website in the world for finding your IP address. According to the Alexa rating, Chris's website is one of the top 
3,000 websites in the United States with over 6 million visitors to that web page per month. Sound good? Sound great? Chris is going to tell you stuff. Chris, welcome aboard. Come on in. The weather's fine. That sounds great. I'm glad to be here, Adam. All right. So here's what we like to do. Before we dive into the main topic of what we're going to cover today, I know some of our listeners right now are opening a separate browser tab saying, who is this Chris Parker and what is this, what is my IP address.com? So what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you an opportunity. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what has brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Well, my story uh, starts back uh, almost uh, 18 years, or actually over 18 years ago now, when I uh, launched uh, whatismyipaddress.com. It was never intended to be a business. It was never intended to uh, generate any revenue whatsoever, but it was something that uh, I needed to, exactly like you were inter introducing, I needed to diagnose an issue that we were having at uh, an office that I was working full-time for. I needed to know my IP address, and uh, I couldn't easily figure it out. And uh, this was pre-Google days, and so I searched Alexa, uh, AltaVista and uh, couldn't find an easy answer and decided, you know, I'm going to put together a website that will help people just like me, and that's how it started. So for uh, awesome. many years, for many years, it uh, ran on a, an old uh, Windows server sitting in my home office on a 1.5 megabit DSL connection, as if anyone even knows what that is anymore. Everyone's phones were faster than my internet connection when I launched the site. <laughs> and uh, fun stories about that, the, the, the growth process. And uh, over the years, I uh, learned out, I learned that, uh, gosh, the site's getting a lot of traffic and started putting content on it and uh, asking people to ask me their questions. And I started answering those frequently asked questions, posted the answers to those frequently asked questions on the website. And then uh, one day, this great service called Google AdSense came along. And I started uh -huh. to make some money. <laughs> as, as, as those of us who were online back in the days, uh, AdSense was an amazing thing where you could uh, get ads on your website without having to uh, work 40 hours a week trying to sell them for uh, pennies on the dollar. And uh, Google just did all the work for you. An amazing thing that uh, helped a ton of people uh, launch their careers. Um, so during that time, this was, had always been a uh, side hustle of mine. I'd uh, got transitioned through a number of jobs. And uh, in uh, 2010, uh, my employer, uh, like many, got hit with the recession and uh, downgraded us all to uh, part-time. And so my uh -huh. wife and I were faced with the, with the question of, oh, do I, do I try to find a new job in a crummy economy? Uh, or do I kind of hang in here where I've got some part-time money coming in? and uh, devote that rest of my time to uh, working to grow my business. And uh, after a lot of thought and a lot of conversation, we thought it would be best to let's, let's try, try growing your business for six months. And uh, if that doesn't work, it's back to the grind for you. And if it does work, then uh, we'll give it another six months and see how it goes. And uh, things went up and down with that employer. And uh, ultimately in 2014, uh, I got let go. And what is my IP address.com became my uh, full-time occupation. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun ride and fun to see it grow. And it's really neat to see that when you invest time and effort in something, you, you can actually see some returns and some dividends on that. And that's kind of the, the big picture of what's gone on uh, over the last 18 years. You know, it's funny. You mentioned 
Google AdSense. I remember the AdSense party. That was not long after I jumped into entrepreneurship. In fact, when I first went full-time with my venture, I, <laughs> I, that was right when the AdSense party was in full swing. So I had a few sites up that I made a few dollars off of. There was one that I really enjoyed. The, the URL was speakerphonerocks.com. It was a <laughs> celebration of speakerphone. And although oh I'm goodness. out of the AdSense game, that website is still up because it's actually kind of funny. So every so often somebody stumbles it and they contact me and ask me what moon I fell off of. But <laughs> the site is just so <laughs> hilarious that I, I, leave, I leave it up. And it, and it goes back to yeah, back in those days. This was before a lot of cell phones. We used to call them cell phones. We didn't even call them smartphones at that point. Uh, speakerphone was actually an option at that time. And, oh, yeah. it, and there were a lot of telephones in offices that didn't even have a jack to plug in a headset. So I was thinking of my early days uh, when I had a job that was sales in nature. And you know how it is with sales jobs. You are measured by how much time you spend on the telephone. I probably still need work on my neck from how bad it hurts from trying to <laughs> hold a telephone up while typing and writing at the same time. And all of my reasonable requests of, hey, guys, could I have a headset? I, I was told to tough it out. Yeah, tough it out. Get hurt. Okay, great. So my thing was is, boy, I love this speakerphone. It's so easy. You just hit a button and you can freeform a conversation. I do have a speakerphone today. It's the Bluetooth setup in my car. So when I get a call while I'm driving my vehicle, I can do a true hands-free conversation. The entire car turns into a speakerphone. So it's really no different than the person sitting next to me and I can drive completely safely, which I recommend everybody. Uh, if you can get a car that has that built into it, pay the extra money and get the state-of-the-art car so you can be safe. And if it doesn't have it, then do something aftermarket with your existing stereo system. Do a plug-in or something like that, so you can Bluetooth in your in your in your cellular or your smartphone, and you can do that thing. Please do that for the safety of the children and the people crossing the street and the other drivers. Is what I say. So if I were to do something with speakerphone rocks today, I would focus on get a Bluetooth system in your car because to me that's one of the greatest things that's been invented, other than maybe seatbelts and. Uh, I'd say airbags, but I don't really think they're all that safe. That's just me. But that just kind of took me back a little bit, which you said about AdSense, because I, I made a few bucks that way, and I had some fun with it. But today, you're getting 6 million consistent visitors per month to whatismyipaddress.com, and I imagine not all of them are the result of hosting companies say, okay, so we can figure out whether or not your website got blocked. Could you go and tell me what your IP address is? Just visit this website. Uh, how are you getting 6 million visitors a month? I'm very curious about that. Well, part of it is uh, with uh, the uh, amazing rise of uh, people worrying about advertisers tracking them, with people worrying about ISPs tracking them, governments tracking them. Uh, we, we just recently did a survey as to actually answer this question. It's like, why are you coming here? What is it? Why are you coming here so frequently? And what in the world is going on that made you come here? And uh, we found out that a surprising number of people are using uh, VPN services, uh, NordVPN, ExpressVPN, one of these companies, to be able to hide their identity online, and they're confirming that it's working before they start surfing. Right. 
that is that is very interesting because I do some of the VPN myself. Self, the whole world doesn't need to know what I'm reading all the time. Exactly. And what I also noticed as I visited that website right before we started our interview here today is a person today has more than one type of IP address. It used to be there was just like the 68.202.467.93. I just made that up. But now you have different types of IP addresses. What's that all about? And I would say that's another reason why people need to be curious about what you're doing. Yep, and that it really actually when so the old one that you just talked about the numbers with the dots in them you know ten dot zero dot zero dot zero is what's referred to as IPv4 and that's uh, what most of the internet ran on until a couple years ago a number of years ago and with the launch of smartphones uh, there became more internet connected devices than IP addresses available for them uh, so uh -huh. a technology that was created a, a lot longer ago than it was launched or commonly used was called IPv6. And I think it's a quintillion IP addresses. So every light bulb in your house, every grain of sand on earth can have an IP address and be unique. And, and so it allows for just so many more devices. But now the Internet is kind of running on two separate platforms, IPv4 and IPv6. Data passes back and forth between them, but sometimes it's important to know one, the other, or both of them if you're having technical difficulties. You know, that's very interesting, especially since we talk about smart lighting systems in your house that are controlled by your smartphone. The fact is all these remote devices have an IP address. Just off the top of my head, uh, all of the external hard drives that plug into my modem and router have their own IP addresses. So does the modem and router. Uh, so does... I believe each one of my computers. I may be right or wrong on that. I don't know. But I also know you're right. Um, okay. All right. So I was right. Uh, all of my smartphones, I have more than one smartphone. They all have their own IP address, whether or not they are currently connected to a cellular service, because one is and the other three aren't. I keep them as mini computers that I use for various purposes. In fact, one of my smartphones, one of my oldest ones, I use as a TV remote, basically. So that's the one I use to uh, <laughs> control my television, which probably has its own IP address, even though it's a dumb TV. And, <laughs> and I also use it so that I can have the apps on that particular device that I stream YouTube and Amazon Prime and all the other things I use to watch movies since I don't have cable and won't pay for cable. Uh, and that way I can have the apps on that dedicated phone. I don't have to carry it around, and I can keep all my other devices lighter. So all these things I just mentioned have IP addresses. If you have mood lighting in your house that is controlled by a remote, you may have IP addresses associated with that. So, yeah, we went well beyond the quintillion that you mentioned, and that does make a lot of sense. Just another little tip for our viewers, if you are in website development or you're involved in doing a hosting transfer, here's a little trick I'll, I'll teach everybody, and this goes back to IP addresses. Um, after you do the DNS, whether you go to GoDaddy or whatever registrar you're doing, and you enter the new DNS servers for the new web host for your new website, and then you're going back and you're checking, you're seeing, has it gone over yet? Is it transferred yet? How do I tell? How can I see what's going on on my, uh, on my monitor? Whatever trick you use, whether it's not uploading the index file or not connecting the database or changing one word on the front page so you know which version of the site you're looking at, whatever it is, uh, one trick I tell people is put your phone on the Wi-Fi connection, and not the Wi-Fi connection, but on the 4G or the 3G connection while your house is on the Wi-Fi, and then wait 
30 minutes and check your phone, check that website on your phone through your, your, your cellular data. And if you see that the site has moved, flush your router. And then you'll see the new site. So that kind of sized up the one to three day thing that they still tell you to think about. So just a little thing about the power of IP addresses and why we care. Because what is myip.com can also be used to identify where your domain is actually hosted right now so you know if a DNS action took place. Also helps yep. if your site gets hacked, you can figure out where they're coming from. Exactly. Right, right. So let's deal with evolution here a little bit, Chris, if we may. Um, what did your early setup look like? And then explain that to me and then show us how has it changed over time? So uh, when I originally started, like I said, it was a Windows NT 2000 server for anyone who can think back that long. Uh, yeah. Really, really old, slow machine, but it wasn't doing a whole lot. It's sitting on a 1.5 megabit DSL connection. Um, and it actually ran on that for a number of years until the, the logs chewed up a good portion of the, uh, the drive space, which is when I realized, hey, there's really traffic here. Um, right. Upgraded, uh, upgraded uh, to a newer Windows box, uh, not too much long, you know, a couple years later. And then the next evolution, I uh, was on uh, I, uh, one of the cheese grater Mac, uh, one of the cheese grater Macs, if you, if you know what those are. Looks like a big giant cheese grater, weighs about a hundred pounds, and uh, oh, ran yeah. that. On, oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. You had the sudden epiphany of what it looks like. It's it's cheese grater. Yeah, <laughs> that thing. I remember. And uh, I actually okay. had it running in my home uh, until probably about oh gosh, I think it was uh, 2012, maybe 2013. I had the uh, a half rack server in my home office. I had UPSs. I had a generator down in the garage in case the power went out. All the all the uh, all the copper into the house was internet connection. I had a fixed wireless internet connection. And part of the fun to me of running the site was managing all the infrastructure and how do you manage traffic across multiple internet connections? How do you balance that? What happens if you get a denial of service attack? Um, so to me, it was a lot of fun just going through the process of managing it, having it all hands-on. And uh, one, one time my wife had a, as she often does, an incredibly wise statement. She says, honey, um, right. if somebody breaks into the house and steals the computer, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the realization that um, I need to get this out of the house. This is just not this is not good business. It's not smart. It's probably costing me more to run it out of the house than it would have it uh, at a co-location facility. And uh, fortunately, where I live here in uh, Southern California, uh, I'm at a nexus of uh, high-speed uh, transcontinental or whatever regional internet connections, and there are a half a dozen. Uh, world-class quality co-location facilities within a couple mile drive of my house. So I picked one of them and migrated all my equipment over there. And now my house is a good 20 degrees cooler and my electric bills dropped by about $500 a month. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, so I, nowadays, I, I, go, ahead, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, you go so ahead. Nowadays it, 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 nowadays it runs in a co-location facility, takes up almost a whole rack. I've got uh, some people like to go with, uh, I'm going to use one high-end server. I've gone with a methodology of uh, a bunch of low-end servers 
behind a, a link or a load balancer, so I can pull machines out of service, upgrade them, tweak them, put them back in service without having any downtime. And again, it's still part of the fun for me is still uh, a little bit of that hands-on maintenance that I get to do. Not as much as I used to, but it's still uh, right. fun to, to to go uh, to go deft in the colocation facility. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think what you're describing, and I remember this from the early days when I got on the Internet. I discovered the Internet in 1995. I was an AOL user, and I remember I used to log in and out of AOL just trying to get to say, you've got mail. Remember back in the day, <laughs> yeah. we got soaked sight over an email? And then just the other night, this is the other night, this is where we are in 2018, I had so much email backed up in my inbox that I actually had to read. It wasn't just a bunch of stuff that I could just say, well, to heck with it, I haven't gotten to it. I'll just delete it. And if anybody uh, feels they're missing me, they can email me again. It wasn't one of those things. I actually had to deal with it. And it took me four or five hours to get to it. And I'm thinking, wait, back in the old days, I remember I used to like be on the edge of my seat seeing if Sarah from St. Louis had replied to my email. I remember those days. Those, why can't we get those days back? Uh, I, I, I do remember those. So excited to get an email. Now I, I open up my email box in the morning and I dread it. It's like, oh, you've got 500 new messages. Uh-huh. Yeah, so where I was going with this is I remember back in that era, we, we took our listeners back and we showed them another time that many of them remember. You had these websites that were only online when the person had their server turned on or when they themselves were connected to the Internet through their dial-up, which they did not leave on 24 hours a day because not everybody even had access to unlimited long distance where they'd just pay the $99 a month and could just stay dialed in all the time. Plus, phone calls have a tendency to drop no matter what. So uh, back in those days, you had a lot of websites that you wondered why you couldn't find them all the time, and that's because they were only online when that machine in their house was dialed in, literally dialed in through the Internet. So that's how far back you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back about those ages where the office that I was working at when I launched the site had a, a one megabit Internet connection. It was fast. Wow. <laughs> wow. I remember when I got now to you... 95. Yep, I remember that too. Oh, we're dating ourselves. Okay, we should stop that. Oh, I, I, I remember when I, I remember I remember when Sarah in St. Louis sent me that picture of her standing next to her Camaro. That thing was eighty-two kilobytes, and I remember the forty-five seconds waiting for that thing to fully load so I could see her Camaro. <laughs> That's great. And now 80, 82 kilobytes, I mean, hell, most web pages are bigger than 82 kilobytes these days because we're past the era where we necessarily even have to care to a degree, except if you actually want your pages to load fast, so Google will like them. But, you know, not everybody cares about that. So no. how did you make – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, yeah, you, you do have to be careful about how fast your page loads, and you do need to worry about those things. Right, 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 right. So uh, today – what do you do today that helps you to bring more traffic to your website or visitors to your webpage or whatever the heck you want to call it? Um, you know, we covered how you consistently get six million visitors per month, but what are some of the um, what are some of the things you use to keep that flowing in? And then here, two part question. And then when they visit your webpage after they found out what their IP address is, what other reason is there to be there? So we'll, so we'll start with the first question. 
um, of what I'm continuing to do to get more people to come to the site. As I've worked uh, really hard uh, in the past and continue to write about technical subjects uh, in terminology that, for, you know, in terminology that's not technical. You know, no geek speak, analogies that people, everyone goes, ah, that makes sense to me. Because, you know, I, I started looking at this stuff and people were talking about IP addresses and network connections. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you had to be a network engineer to understand what these people were talking about. And it's like, come on, people, we need to make it simple, make it easy to understand. So we're writing a ton of content, uh, ton of content about technical subjects. And these days, uh, privacy and safety is, is on the online is becoming a huge deal. It's not, uh, you know, Sarah, uh, you know, with her Corvette isn't a girl anymore. It's some creepy guy, and you better watch out yep. for him. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's not as it's not as a simple uh, and naive world as it used to be. We've got to do a lot more to uh, pay attention to what we're doing, who we're talking to, what we're telling them, what people can figure out about us by what we post online, and so really. The, what I've really morphed into, which is interesting to me today, is really trying to educate people how to stay safe, how to stay private online, and uh, take care of their families and watch out for that stuff. Yeah, and what and I've so, also noticed here, yeah, yeah, what I've also noticed here is you have some other resources that people can use. Uh, for example, I'll, I'll just mention a few for our listeners. This is my way of. Yes, Chris, I'm going to give you a little bit of a plug. Uh, one, of the big, one of the big issues that people face today is a speed test, checking your bandwidth, how, how fast are your download speeds, how fast are your upload speeds, what's your latency, things like that. These are things that are very important, and especially when you're paying an arm and a leg for supposedly turbo, super, mega, gazillion fast Internet service, are you actually getting that, or are you still in dial-up land? I mean, that's a, that's a thing that I encourage everybody to do, is to do regular speed tests to make sure that that level of Internet speed that you are paying your provider for is actually being delivered. And if it's not, to review your own setup to make sure that everything is optimized, and then if it's still not working, to hold your provider accountable for delivering what they say they're delivering. Because we have issues with throttling, we have issues with network coverage, we have issues with saturation, and they need to be able to deliver on this. If not, then you might want to look at their competitor. I mean, this is a way of optimizing your business, uh, achieving maximum results through minimalism. Another thing that I find very interesting on your webpage here is that uh, you have resources to help people trace an email. Let's say you get an email from someplace and you're a little bit concerned about the content of that email and you're wondering what that email address is. That gives you some clues. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that works. And let's say somebody, let's say somebody emails me some really nasty thing um, and they send it from uh, hotstuff79 at gmail.com. What, what on your site, if anything, can help me get to the bottom of who that is or at least where it's coming from that I can use as part of my research to narrow down who might have done this awful thing to me. So there's good news and bad news for you, depending on which side you're on. Um, it used to be that almost every single email that you got would have the IP address of the person who sent it to you, which was great if you wanted to know who, if you wanted to figure out who was harassing you uh, and those sort of things. Um, one of the things that's really happened in the last couple of years is with the awareness of privacy, 
companies like Gmail, Hotmail, yeah. um, are, are no longer including the sender's IP address in the headers. And now the only way to get that is there's some, there's some tricks, and we actually have some tips on uh, about a dozen ways that you could try to get somebody's IP address from them, uh, getting them to click on carefully crafted links, uh, HTML images, which when an image loads, it sends the IP address that loaded it to a server, and you get to see that see it from there. So there's a couple tricks that you can get the IP addresses. But they've really done that, I think rightly so, to protect us on the op opposite end of that. When you're emailing somebody, you really don't necessarily want them to figure out what your home, in, home IP address is, maybe be able to figure out where you live within a couple of miles. You don't want them to launch a denial of service attack on you because you because right. you emailed them or and things like that. So I, I unfortunately that tool is becoming less and less effective over time. Um uh -huh. that's bad for me, but I think that's good for people in general. But privacy I think is more important than than people people being able to look up someone's IP address. Because truly if you are being harassed and someone is threatening you, you can always involve law law enforcement and they can start getting right. that stuff really fast if it's if it's truly serious. Well, but, yeah, but if you're, go ahead, go ahead. If, if, if your boyfriend if, or girlfriend if, if says, says something mean me, about yeah. you, you're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can tell this excites me, and I think that what you're saying, especially in this era where we see so much being done with doxing. So let's say I go to one of my social media platforms. Let's take Facebook for instance, and I'm going to scroll down my news feed, and uh, you know, let's keep this evergreen. Let's say there's X issue that everybody's all upset about you know what i'm talking about and mm -hmm. let's say a friend of mine posts a comment about it and i agree with what my friend says so i type something like right on and by the way did you also know and i include a little fact well then some random shriek shows up and decides they want to fight me but them telling me off isn't enough they need to publish my home address and my personal phone number and everything else just to show that they have shown me what happens to people who espouse negative, hateful views like mine. You see more and more of that today. And to the extent that we can make it more difficult for people to do that, that's good. And I also like that there are still some tools that we can use to find out about them because yep. that, that's easily – can be construed as a crime. In some jurisdictions, that's an illegal act to dock somebody for any reason at, at all. Because what if, I mean, what if uh, somebody, some other crazed nut decides to act on that? And next thing you know, I have somebody show up, uh, not on my doorstep, but inside my doorstep at 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, there's a lot of nutty stuff that can happen. And you also have revenge things. You have revenge porn of uh, you know, people who think they're in love exchange racy pictures during the day to keep each other titillated, and then one breaks up with the other. So the other says, "You know what? I'm going to post all these these pictures to show, uh, you know, what a what a poorly endowed man he is, or what a horse he is, or whatever it is." And uh, yeah, you could have a real issue with legalities there because that is criminal behavior, and you want to be able to do at least something to deal with it when it happens. And in many cases, you need to go after the site owner to get them to take it down and also to discourage folks so that they know you're playing with fire if you want to try something like that. Hey, you know what? Just go find somebody else. Yep. 
in, in a lot of cases, it's, it's just better for us to shut our mouths in public forums and just, you know, it's not worth it to to, to, to get that extra dig in and, and then, you know, get all the back, that backlash is just sometimes just not worth it. And But sometimes that, it's, that, it's, it's truly that's accidental. Recommended. <laughs> that That's recommended. But I've had a couple cases where I've had these, these total shrieks just want to come after me. People I didn't even know that just wanted to prove what warriors they were or whatever. It's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, whatever. Have you ever heard of the two people running away from the bear and the one stops to put on their running shoes uh, because they know they only have to outrun the other person, that person that's doing that stuff is the other person. I've got my running shoes on. But, hey, if they <laughs> want to get eaten by the bear, uh, let's just make sure that bear doesn't get to me. Exactly. All right. So um, when we had if – you, if you would be willing to entertain a couple audience questions, would you be willing to do that? Sure. Okay. When we posted on businesscreatorsradioshow.com that we were going to have you on our show – uh, somebody looked into who you are and what is my IP address.com and now they're thinking, well, IP addresses, now we're getting into privacy. And what's on a lot of people's minds in 2018? Uh, GDPR. So that has impacted what we can know about people's IP addresses. It's impacted what we can do to store them. All kinds of great interesting things that have made our lives a lot more interesting. So if somebody wants to involve anything GDPR related, what is my IP address to offer them? Uh, I would suggest anyone who's uh, uh, dealing with GDPR is to work with a lawyer. Um, I'm not a lawyer, right. and so I'm right. not going to provide legal advice about that. Sure. Um, Neither am I. Because I don't want to be Neither liable. <laughs> let, let, okay, let, let me rephrase the question. I'm not a lawyer either, nor do I play one on TV. I have a face for radio, which is why we do Business Creators Radio, not TV. But what resources are there? Uh, like, let's say, uh, I, I imagine that, let's say somebody comes and claims, you spam me, but then you have their record of their original opt-in to your subscriber list in your database tracing their original IP address. So do you have enough um, information on your website that, that somebody could look up that person's IP address and do either a location or at least a triangulation to say, oh, no, that was you. You opted yourself in. Nice try. Uh, you can get general, for the most part, you can get general information about where an IP address is located uh, unless the person has is like actively, uh, let, let's, a, a good example, let's say if you go to weather.com and weather.com says, would you like to share your location with us? Uh, if you share your location with weather.com, that usually uh, will pull the GPS off your phone or your laptop or, you know, it actually can be like startlingly accurate. And you've now given weather.com or some weather site uh, your something very very close to your physical location, and in exchange for that, they're giving you hyperlocal weather. Um, this is not to say that Weather.com does this, but other businesses do sell that location information to data aggregators. So it's possible that if you're going around the internet sharing your location with websites, that if you come to a website like mine, which pulls from those data aggregators, it could be scary accurate of how close the IP address location could be. Now, the thing is, yeah. if you ask me, hey, Chris, is this, 
this specific IP address, is it accurate or is it not accurate? And we get this, and I do get this question on a frequent basis. I can't tell you how accurate it is because I don't know. I'm not the user at that IP address. I don't know who shared the information. I don't know where the, you know, where, where the, the specifics came from. So I can say, yeah, it's usually within, if you're in the U.S., it's, you know, 20 miles. Uh, if you're an international audience, 25 kilometers or something like that. So it's in general, it's not going to lead you to not going to lead someone to your doorstep or you to someone else's doorstep. But I think that's where things like VPN services come in, into play and like you needing to do things to protect yourself when you're sharing your location or, or, or actually rather don't share your location with people. Right, right. You know, a few years ago I had uh, somebody who had signed up to attend one of my webinars. And then a few months later, they couldn't just decide that they didn't want my information anymore and unsubscribe. They had to claim I was spamming them. And then when I said, no, you're off the list, you unsubscribed. And by the way, we didn't spam you. They went off on this tirade and they reported me to like seven different agencies saying that I conspired with those agencies to send them unsolicited email. The person was seriously off their freaking rocker. I, I keep their email that they sent me because sometimes I need a laugh. But the way I made a complete fool out of this person, in addition to looking them up online and finding some interesting court cases that they lost, showing what a nut they really were, is I also uh, found the IP address because it was in my database of where they opted in from, the date they opted in so I could trace back exactly where they heard about me, how they opted in. I knew everything about them, everything about mm -hmm. them. And I had that IP address. And I was able to use a site. It might have been your site, actually, because I went to one of those IP lookup sites. It might have been yours. And I did what was known as a triangulation, where it said, okay, this IP address comes from within this general area. And then what I did is I printed out that triangulation report, which showed a street map in the area, the triangle, where the, where the uh, opt-in had come from. And then I did a Google map search of their office address. And it's like, uh, no, you signed up for my webinar while you were sitting at your desk at work. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Go ahead. Keep going down this line. Never heard from them again after that. And uh, they had uh, tried – they had gone to my web hosting company and uh, demanded that my sites be taken down and everything else. And it was actually the hosting company that contacted me, and they said – uh, are you aware of this nutcase? Because I had a relationship with the web hosting company, and I said, yeah, here's a triangulation report. Here's where their office is. This is what we're dealing with. And I said, okay, um, we'll block that IP address from you. They'll never see your site again. So, yeah, and, and, again, and that's a good thing. Good. If, you've got a re if you've got a reliable host and you've got a reliable email, provi uh, email service provider and you're keeping your records of uh, opt-ins, it's really easy to go back to them and say, look, on this date – this IP address opted in this email address. I, it was confirmed because I confirmed opt-in everybody. I don't just add them. And they came from this website and blah, 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 blah. You know, the mailing platforms have tremendous amount of information uh, about how you've interacted with your, your, the people on your mailing list. So the, the nice thing is most of the companies these days are, are very – as long as you can provide them, here's the opt-in date, here's the opt-in IP address – they're usually quite quite okay with it. Right, right, because you've done your homework, which is, why, which is why I tell folks, don't add people to your database. Just give them reasons to want to engage with you, and then be persistently consistent with your communications so they feel the information you continue to send them is valuable and helpful. 
And if they decide one yep. day that they just don't want to follow you anymore, like, make, you know, because I get people who sometimes opt off my list, and they'll send me, in addition to opting out, they'll either type in the comment section or they'll actually take the time to send me a direct email to say, um, you know, just in case you notice I unsubscribed, um, just so you know, we're still friends. It's just that my business has changed and I'm not in need of what you're looking for anymore. So I didn't want you to take it personally. We're still friends. And that's because I take the time to care for my tribe. And that's the way to do it. As long as you treat with people, treat people with respect, they're going to treat you with respect. You'll, you'll get the, the screamers here once in a while who just, they're having a bad day or something like that. And it's, yep. it's just part, yep. of, it's part of business. And when somebody starts screaming, what is my IP address helps you quietly, calmly, and rationally respond. Exactly. I like that. I have to remember yes. that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Well. Well. Uh, go back and subscribe to iTunes. Download this episode and listen to it again. Now, let's see. Let's get the marker. We're at approximately the forty-minute mark. All right. So this is a little bit of a different turn than I expected for this interview. We ended up talking about IPs and security and tech stuff, which, even though I don't do tech for a living, is something that I have some passion about, and I, you know, I get kind of geeked out over it. So thank you, Chris, for giving me that opportunity. Also, we have some listeners who love the tech stuff too. So I'll make sure that if they're not tuned in live, that they hear this episode because uh, I think they'll find it interesting. Now, um, let's get a little bit into business development because this you know, in a way does go into uh, generating six figures, whether it's directly through website traffic or what have you. But um, here's a question that comes up a lot in the Business Creators Institute toolkit, which is where we have a bunch of uh, software resources we recommend. Um, how do you trust vendors for your softwares to use when you're building your online business? So I'm going to leave that an open-ended question and let you answer it as you see fit. So I'll leave this with a, a personal story of mine, and if people are running websites, they may be able to relate to it. Sometimes it's it's good to have a little full disclosure. I remember there was an incident a number of years ago where an someone claiming to be an advertiser approached me, and I recognized the company name. He said, hey, we really want to advertise on your website. It's it's Q4. The rates are really good right now. Um Here's what we can do. All seemed perfectly reasonable. All seemed above board. Signed up. Uh, started uh, running their, their ads on my site. Running, the, you know, they're an ad network. Started running ads on my site. And uh, a couple weeks into it, uh, the reporting interface started to get a little. Yeah, it's not working quite right. So I emailed the guy. He's like, Oh yeah, we're having a technical problem with the, the with the interface. Don't worry, everything's still being tracked. A week later. It went down entirely, like the domain name wasn't even even resolving, and I I tried getting a hold of the guy. He's not responding to emails anymore, and I, so i like, okay, what in the world's going on? And I start, okay, let me dig a little bit deeper. So what had happened is this guy had, had taken this well-known, reputable uh, ad network's name and website from the .com, and he replicated it onto a .NET that he had registered with a stolen credit card. Yeah. And and then he had you know changed the phone number to his burner cell phone number. And so going to the website, it looked totally legitimate. And, uh, you know, I ended up losing probably five figures of revenue to this guy. And uh, my first thought was like, okay, I'm going to war. I'm hiring a lawyer. I'm going to make this guy's this guy's life miserable. 
And then I, uh, better judgment uh, seized me finally, and I said, okay, this is maybe this should just be a learning, uh, a, le- a life lesson for me. It's expensive, but uh, it'd be an awful lot of time and energy and stress going after this knucklehead. So I'm not going to do that. And so it actually ter- became a business process of mine that now whenever, whenever, whenever somebody approaches me wanting to do business with them, I, I do my due diligence. Okay, where's this company? You know, do a, do a look up on the domain name. Are they have uh-huh. they been in business very long? Oh, gee, they've only been in business two weeks. Mm, don't think I want to do there's business that with I- them. There's that IP address again. And I would look up, you know, where's the website hosted, where's the company, look for other people who have done business with the company. And there's there's certain geographies in the world that I just, you know, I don't want to do business with you. Sorry, not interested. Um, you know, some businesses that are just brand new and starting up, I'm like, you know what, you, know, you come back to me in a year once your 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 portfolio of products and services is more mature. Have I given up on some opportunities by doing that? Probably. Um, but I think without having these processes in place where I look at these sort of things, I would have likely to have fallen victim to another scam, someone else, or, you know, believing somebody's hype. And so sometimes just having those processes uh, in place for small business people, even for small even if you're like a one-person shop, you should still have processes in place to make sure that you're not falling victim to things, to make sure you're doing your due diligence, uh, to make sure everything's on the up and up. Yeah, yeah. So going back to history here, uh, how tech savvy does a person really need to be when starting an Internet business, or is this something you can figure out as you go? I mean, we know that you were on the alpha end of tech savvy yourself. I mean, you were running servers out of your house and saving on your heating bill in the wintertime if you have a winter where you live or lived at the time. I mean, just from the heat giving off those servers. But uh, but for anybody else, uh, how tech-savvy in your estimation does a person really need to be? I think these days you really don't have to be too tech-savvy to have your own online presence for your business, to, to start up your own blog, to do your own podcast. I don't think you need to be as tech-savvy as I had to be you know, 15 years ago, you don't need to be an expert in these things these days. I think you do need, however, need to make sure that you're not going with, well, what's the cheapest solution? What's the the cheapest partner I can work with? You want to make sure that you've got, you want to make sure that you've got decent security that you're, when more than three people are on your website at one time, it's not going to crash. Yeah, right. So, so I, I think there's things like when you're talking about the infrastructure of your business, is it is it built to scale? Is it going to – if your business doubled, tripled, quadrupled, went 10 times overnight, as small businesses could very easily do, is your infrastructure going to fall apart because of that? And if it is, you really should take care of that sooner than later. Mind you, it, it does help to be technically savvy. You need to pay attention to you know, firmware updates on your router – making sure that uh, yeah. WordPress is updating on a regular basis or whatever CMS you're using, because if you don't, you will get hacked at some point. Yeah, very true. And you know what else I was thinking of? You know, I, I'm thinking of, you're talking about bandwidth issues you mentioned. Like, let's say you're running a product launch or something, or you get some kind of media attention. Suddenly, there's all kinds of traffic to your website. I've seen cases where people have 
gotten their site suspended right in the middle of a promotion push because 20 people landed on the page at the same site and they were on the same and they were on a shared server and that 20 people that landed on their web page was such a tax on all the other users that they had to suspend their site to protect all their other users. So are you working <laughs> with a hosting company that's jamming 5,000 websites on the same server? And if and as soon as I hear somebody who says, I'm looking for cheap hosting, I don't want to spend money on hosting. I say, okay, well, you're going to spend a lot of money on lost business, lost goodwill, uh, lost resource hours, whether it's your own or your team's, that could be spent doing things that generate money instead of waste money. And then you're going to find, uh, you're going to find out the hard way how good your web hosting company's tech service really is. I remember 10 years ago, I had recently inherited a client who today is one of my biggest clients. They've been with us for over 10 years. And they did a big product launch. This was their first new course in 10 years. And people gobbled this course up. Five minutes into the go live, the site shuts down because oh. it, it maxed out. And, I, and I, I, I had the number of their tech support that their previous people had given us. And I, uh, and I dialed the tech support, and they started saying, okay, well, you need to go in and change your uh, max connections. And do you know how to use putty? And do you know how to SHL oh. or whatever the heck that is? And I said, I don't. The site is down. We're in the middle of a launch. We have people beating down our door. Can you fix this and then show me how? Because when you contact your web hosting company, it's usually not to chit-chat over tea and crumpets. It's because there's an emergency. So you want to know that they have the type of service that's not going to then try and give you a technical lesson, that's going to first fix the issue and then give you the technical lesson. See, when I vet hosting companies, I will contact them, and sometimes I'll even pay somebody else to contact them as well, pretending to be a complete dumbass noob and ask stupid questions through their, through their, their, phone, their phone support, their live tech support, their ticket support, and their email support. We hit them all. We use four different identities to do this. The reason being is I want to see how they treat their lowest common denominator. Number one, because that is a reflection of how they're going to treat their experienced person that actually knows what they're talking about. Number two, um, I want to see if their level of service is consistent. So if they feel that they're responding to the four different people, then we're going to see over a range of four different tech support requests through four different avenues how they do. Yep. I had a, had a client of mine. Oh, yeah, I had, had a client of mine when I when – I, they had kind of the, almost the opposite scenario. When I heard how much they were spending on their hosting, I almost had a heart attack. It was yeah, it was a lot of money. Um, and then one day, um, I got a. I was the uh, at, at that time I was the uh, the primary contact for technical issues for the company. And, and the the hosting company called me and said, "Hey, the we've got a, a failure notice on the hard drive raid. Um, we've." Uh, We've got a technician inbound. He's going to be here in two hours, and we're going to swap out the the RAID controller. We're going to swap out all the drives. We're going to rebuild the database. You'll be down for about an hour. Um, when yeah. can we schedule this? And I'm like, okay, now I know why they're spending the money. Because if they were down for you know, eight hours, 12 hours, or a day, which it easily could have been with this sort of pr problem, it would have cost them years' worth of hosting cost. In, in lost business. Right. 
Right. So sometimes right. It, it may yeah, seem I like a lot of money, but it's how much is downtime worth to you? <laughs> I think I think I think you have to find the right balance. I mean, depending on your reach. Um, if you're an average sized business getting average traffic, then I would say if you're paying for something that's really good hosting and it's in a range of about a hundred dollars a month, and you have all your quotas you need, and you have you have the ability to change your your load settings and things like that, I think you're usually in pretty good shape. If you're doing seven, 20 million people a month, probably should be on a dedicated server. But I'm still looking for that person that said, I reduced my hosting cost to $5.95 a month, and boy, am I glad I did. I've never met them. <laughs> for, two, for two reasons. They're not playing a big enough game they're even going to be seen. And number two, uh, they're probably spending so much time dealing with the problems, and that's part of the reason you don't hear from them. Yep. And it's interesting. That's like one of the things that I'm, as my business has grown, I've had to wrestle with is how much is my time worth? Is this really a good use of my time? I, you know, should I be doing the accounting or should I outsource to a, an accounting firm to do my accounting for me? Right. At some point, entrepreneurs need to start asking themselves, how much is my time worth? You know, what, what happens if my hard drive fails on my computer? Am I going to be down for, Two days, three days, can I afford to be down a couple of days? Well, maybe I should back up my computer once yeah. in a while. <laughs> yeah, you you would you would think you would think so. So let's um yeah, so thinking along those lines is I think we can agree is you know, just be realistic about what it is you need and don't be cheap either because uh, if you're paying seventy five dollars a month for your web hosting and you never have a problem and all your sites always load quickly and you're not getting hacked, are you really saving money if you go for $5.95 a month and say, well, once every three months we're going to have a problem? I had this issue with a client of mine. When uh, we first came on as their consultant, they were using very inexpensive hosting, and they couldn't do a darn thing with their website because the thing was constantly maxing out, and it was just inferior. And the host kept trying to blame my clients. I said, okay, I said, you know what, there's a very simple solution to this. We're going to move you to uh, another company. Uh, in this case, Liquid Web was the one we chose at the time. And you're going to pay $75 a month for this hosting, but you're going to have your own WHM. You're going to have the uh, control over your PHP any, and you're not going to have these problems anymore. And lo and behold, ever since the site was picked up and moved, in two years, they've had one very minor site down thing because it was the statistical one in a million times that Apache just stops and all you have to do is push the button to restart it. Yep. Yeah. Often, what's the what's the Adam? Uh, you get what you pay for. If you're paying for yeah. if you're paying pennies, you get pennies worth of quality. Yep. And as somebody who I really hate as in truly hate said, and this is one of my other lessons, which is don't discount the message because of the messenger. Um, cheap can get mighty expensive. Yes, it can. <laughs> even, though, even though I have reasons to hate the person that said that, that said that, I agree with the quote. Cheap can get mighty expensive. And I think that's part of what we're talking about here, whether we're talking about um, IP security or vendors or technology resources or anything you do to boost more traffic your website. So what's been very interesting, Chris, is over the past hour here, originally we were going to talk about uh, getting high figures uh, website traffic, but you answered that question so clearly and so succinctly within the first few minutes. I just want to circle around to our listeners who have been sitting through this saying, 
hey, what the heck is going on here? What I've just done with Chris is I've given you a primer on how to consistently get more value from your audience by giving them more reasons to visit your web pages or become the traffic to your website. The more you can share with them, the more value you can add to them above and beyond your original promise, the more they'll come back, the more they'll come back and tell, the more they'll tell their friends who will come visit, the more other providers will use you, and the more that you will, by understanding what else a person who comes to your site for the original reason would need, like somebody who wants to look up an IP address, well, heck, they might be interested in doing a speed test. They might be interested, well, for what is my IP? So maybe I'm looking to hide my IP. What's a good VPN resource? Uh, if I'm looking at my IP, maybe it's because my emails aren't going through, and I might, be, I might be on a blacklist. So look at that. I can do a blacklist check. Somebody claims I'm spamming them, but I can prove they opted themselves in. Look at that. I can trace my email. See? Uh, all the various reasons that somebody would be interested in IP addresses you deliver. And that is one of the lessons I wanted to make sure everybody got above and beyond this whole thing about let's get more traffic to our website is think infrastructurally about why a person would need to come back over and over again and refer you to others. And that is how you will consistently get the big numbers when it comes to website traffic. And if you look at the IP, what is my IP address.com, you'll see there are affiliate and referral link resources, which are income generators. I do the same thing in my business as I freely and proudly disclose. And these are just some of the things you do to generate a prosperous online business. So uh, Chris, I really want to thank you for uh, uh, us taking this little segue. And I hope that our audience enjoyed that little punchline right there, a new way of looking at traffic to your website. That's great. I had a great time, Adam. I appreciate being on. All right. Before we break off here, we have two minutes. I want to give one of those minutes to you. Do you have any resources for our audience uh, as they uh, want to explore this further and uh, discover more about how some of the things we talked about can work for them? As I said, everybody, go to whatismyipaddress.com, and you'll see some of these resources. But, Chris, do you have anything else for us? Absolutely. Uh, for anyone who is interested in uh, learning more about uh, online safety, how to kind of keep themselves and their family safe online, we've got an ebook, and I'll make it available at whatismyipaddress.com slash creators. Oh, whatismyipaddress.com forward slash creators. All right. So let me just look. Yep, there I see it. Uh, so everybody go to whatismyipaddress.com forward slash creators and check that out. Uh, is we, uh, we had a lot of conversation here about keeping you and your family safe, so that's a great resource for you. Uh, let me just say once again, Chris Parker of whatismyipaddress.com, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and quite an education. Thank you very much. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.